as uh, Dr. David and Caleb mentioned, is that in the month of January, we've been really, over the past couple years, really thinking about who we are as a church and what our mission here is at Crosspoint. So as members, uh, our members know what our mission here is at Crosspoint is, is that Crosspoint Baptist Church exists to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. That's what we do here. That's what we're about. Everything that we do here at Crosspoint, from every ministry to our worship service, whatever it be, is we do it to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. And so what we've been doing last week and the next couple weeks, this week as well, is thinking how we are participators in that, how we participate in making disciples. And one of the ways is that we are looking for opportunities in our homes, in our workplaces, in our grocery stores, in our nail salons, in our bar, you know, in getting, getting a haircut, whatever it may be, looking and trying to recognize the open doors that God has given us to what we'll hear today from 1 Peter chapter 2, to make known His excellencies. And so that's what we'll be looking at today, is making Christ's excellencies known. What motivates us in this mission statement that we have here at Crosspoint? So if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we will be looking at just two verses, two verses, verses 9 and 10. Now, don't think that that means you get a shorter sermon. That just means I get to spend longer on two verses. And so, uh, if you would, once you arrive there in your Bibles, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Maybe you've experienced something like this of an identity crisis. Maybe you've had a moment in your life where you've begun asking questions of, who am I? What's my purpose? What do I do? Why am I here? Things like that. Where you begin to question everything about who you thought you were, right? Uh, maybe a situation has occurred, a tragedy or a, a hard scenario or something like that. And it's just made you ask all these questions and really question, who am I? What's my identity? What's my purpose? And all these things. Well, in 1 Peter, there's a similar situation happening in Peter's audience. Is that they are experiencing some forms of persecution and ridicule for what they've come to do. And that means they're experiencing ridicule for obeying and loving Jesus, for following this Jesus Christ. And so they're feeling the intensity of persecution, the intensity of being maligned for their faith. And so they come to a point in saying, who am I? What's my purpose? Like, I didn't think that it was going to be like this. What's going on here? And so Peter comes to reassure them and says, I know what everybody else is saying about you and what, what, what they think you are, but I want to reassure you of who you are in Christ. Who you are, what your present position identity is. What your purpose is with this new identity. And then 
where you came from, what your past is. And so to reassure them of their calling and their identity, Peter is giving words of life and saying, in the midst of your persecution, don't forget who you are, what your purpose is, and where you came from. And so that's what we'll look at today, just in these three verses. We'll look at three points here. Present, purpose, and past. Three P words here. Is that first in verse 9, just the first part of verse 9, is that Peter is going to remind them who you are right now, right now in Christ Jesus. What your present position and identity is right now. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually really interested in this. I hope I never have to get into it. But the Witness Protection Program, uh, I, I'm just really interested in it for some reason. Um, is that people get into a scenario, they see, I don't know, they see a drug deal go wrong, and now they're, you know, on a hit list of people and things like that. And so they have to go enter into the Witness Protection Program. Hopefully none of you are in that currently right now. And when ha- what happens is you get in that program and then you, you get moved off and you get a new name, a new identity, a new job, new car, new house, all these different things. Is that you have a comp- completely different lifestyle, completely different identity. And that it's actually dangerous if you were to start living like you used to in your old identity. I was reading this a couple years ago. This will show you just how weird I am and why fascinated I am with this. But I was reading about the Witness Protection Program, and one of the main reasons a person dies in the Witness Protection Program is not because, um, you know, the, their enemies found them in their home or something like that. No, it's because they, that person who was put in the Witness Protection Program, they went back to their old home or their old hometown and tried to, like, hang out with their buddies like it was the old days, right? That's how they ended up dying, is that they're like, oh, he's back in town, let's kill him, right? And so they tried to operate in that old identity. But that's what the Witness Protection Program does, is that it gives you a completely different identity and a completely different purpose and a completely different way of life. And this is what Peter is saying to the Christians here that he's writing to, is that you in Christ have a completely different identity right now in Jesus. Your present position and identity is completely different than who you used to be. You are no longer those things. Just listen to what he says here. A very strong distinction that he makes in, at the very beginning of verse 9. But you, right? Very strong, strong contrast than what was previously said. Peter was previously describing in verse 8 and above uh, people who are disobedient to the word. Unbelievers, right? And now Peter's saying, but you are not like them. That is, that is not who you are anymore. There's a strong distinction being made here, starting in verse 9. But you are something very different than what you used to be and who those people are who are disobedient to the Word. And then he goes on, he says, here's what you are. You are. Meaning, this is who you really are. This is your real identity. And it's, it's you in the plural, as in like, this is you, church, you, Christians, this is your identity, plural. This is not I, but this is we. This is who we are. And Crosspoint, this is who we are in Christ Jesus. Followers of Jesus, this is who we are. This is your identity, right? This is the body of Christ's identity. So here's what Peter says. He says, this is who you are. And he takes a bunch of phrases and a bunch of uh, lines and terms from the Old Testament. It says, what was true of Israel is now true of you in Christ Jesus. 
Everything that was said of Israel is now in Christ is true of you. And here's a couple of things that he says of them. Here's a couple of descriptors and identifying marks. He says this, you are a chosen race. Now just think about how reassuring, comforting that may have sounded to Peter's audience. An audience who has been maligned, who has been insulted, who's been made fun of, and who's been rejected by society and by the culture and by unbelievers. To come and say this, you are a chosen race. How comforting that would have been to the church. You may be You may be rejected by men, but you are accepted and chosen by God. How reassuring and comforting that would have been to hear. Not everybody has rejected you. God has actually chosen you. You might be rejected by men, but you've been chosen by God. And what other identity would you want, church? What other position would you want, Crosspoint? I'm rejected by men, but guess what? You know what matters most? I am chosen by God. And chosen based on nothing that you have done. Nothing that you have done. This is what was said of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7. It says, you know why God chose you, Israel? One, because you were the biggest. One, because you were the brightest. One, because you were the best. It's because of God's love. Deuteronomy 7, 7 says this. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were actually the fewest of all people. You were the bottom of the bucket and God chose you and set his love on you. What reassurance and comfort that would bring to a people who have been rejected by their culture. And maybe that's what you need to be reminded about this morning, church. The world's going to say lots of things about you. The world may even reject you. But guess what? The best position for you to be in is to be rejected by the world but chosen by God. That's the best position for you to be in. And he says to them that you are a chosen race. A chosen race. And this totally, this totally uh, uproots any sense of, of groupings that we may have. Is that in our world, we group people. And in the ancient world here, they group people. You're Jews or you're Gentiles, you're Romans, you're Greeks, you're, you're, you're you know, even today, white, black, Asian, European, American, British, uh, Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever. We group things like that. And he says this, you're a chosen race. A chosen race. Meaning that the church includes all these people and all these things. And you know what the one unifying factor in all those is? Faith in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter any of those things. It doesn't matter if you came from Dry Prong, Louisiana or New York City. Praise the Lord, right? You are a chosen race if you are in Christ Jesus. And let me just remind us. You might be struggling with this this morning. Your identity, church, Your identity is not wrapped up in what car you drive, what home you own, your income level. None of those things. If you are in Christ, the final authority for your identity is God's Word. Is God's Word. The world says one thing about you, but guess what? God's Word screams louder than all those things. Trust and rest in that. Trust and rest in what God has said about you. 
He goes on to say this, not only are you, church, a chosen race, but you are a royal priesthood. In Christ, there is no special class of people. We don't have priests and we have every other person, lay people or, or commoners, right? Is that all people are, all people are priests, it says here. Everyone has this direct access to God and is called to serve God. If you remember, this was the problem in Israel, is that in Exodus 19, verse 6, this is when they're on the mountain and God's giving them these, these kind of commissions there. And he says, you are a kingdom of what? Priest. Now, he didn't say, you are a kingdom with priest, but that's exactly what Israel did. They're like, hey, we don't all want to be priests. Uh, we don't all want to have to serve God. Let's just, uh, let's just make a couple people priests, and they'll do all the bidding to God. right? They'll do all the service. That's not what God called Israel to do. He called them all to be, you are all to be a kingdom of priests. You are all to be people who serve God, not a special class of people. And this is what Peter's saying, is that you, there's no special class here in the church, people in Christ, is that you are all a royal priesthood. And not only that, Exodus 19.6 says, and you are a holy nation. You're unlike any other. Can you consider that, church? You're unlike any other people. There's lots of groupings of people, but you're unlike any other. You have been set apart by God. And that because you've been set apart by God, you represent this God who is himself set apart and unlike any other God. You are a holy nation. And then finally he says this, is that you are a people for his own possession. You are possessed by God. You are God's property. He owns us. We are His. He has ownership over us. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. Isn't that beautiful? That the church, God's people, are God's treasured possession. It's the thing that He loves and He cares for and takes care for. And He, he treasures it so much that He obtained it through a certain means. How did, he, how did he obtain the church? How did he obtain his, his people? Well, the scripture says he obtained it by his own blood. Acts 20, verse 28. Listen to this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the, all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Listen to this. To care for the church of God, which he, God, obtained with his own blood. With his own blood. God did not purchase us with gold, silver, dimes, nickels, none of those things. He shed his own blood to buy us, redeem us, and purchase us, and obtain us as his own treasure possession. This is who we are in Christ Jesus, church. This is who we are. This is who we are. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. But here's what I'm afraid of is that we have this identity that has been told to us in the scriptures of who we are. But I'm afraid many of us in here might be dealing with multiple, multiple spirituality identity disorder. You've probably heard of multiple 
identity disorder where people try to have different identities and different personalities and things like that? Well, I think that also happens in the spiritual realm too, where we try to have multiple identities, where we try to still retain the old identity that we once had. Remember what I told you about the Witness Protection Program? The most dangerous thing for you to do in the Witness Protection Program is to try and go live back in your old identity. This is equally as dangerous here in Christ is that we try to have a foot in both identities, who I used to be and who I am now in Christ Jesus. And let me just say this, it won't work. It won't work. You can't sprinkle your new identity in Christ Jesus on top of your old identity. It overtakes and overwhelms your old identity. You are no longer the person you used to be. And let me just challenge you and ask you, church, think about this. What ways are you trying to retain and hold on to your past identity apart from Christ? What ways are you trying to hold on to that past identity? Let me just say this. There's no middle ground in Christ Jesus. You are either in Christ or you are apart from Christ. You either have a new identity or you are continuing to live in your old identity. You cannot have a foot in both worlds. And how this will be shown of what your true identity is, whether you're in Christ or apart from Christ, it will be revealed in how you live and what you live for, basically what your purpose is in this world. And this is what Peter says to us next. What Peter says is that your new identity comes with a new purpose. And this is point number two. Purpose. You have a new purpose in this life. I don't know if many of you have probably experienced job promotions and when you get a job promotion, you typically get new responsibilities with it. You typically get new tasks with it, new, new plans, new purposes, things like that. So you don't, you don't continue doing your old job. That would be weird. you got a promotion. you got to pay a raise and things like that. And you do your new job. You don't continue doing the task of your old job. Somebody else is going to be doing that, right? And so in a new position, you have a new purpose. You have a new plan and things like that. And this is what the purpose and the plan and the calling is for us who have a new identity in Christ Jesus. We have a new purpose. And what is that? It says here, that you may proclaim. That you may proclaim. This is the purpose for our existence, Crosspoint. This is the purpose for all of us individually. It's why have we been given a new identity in Christ? Why do we have these things? So that we will proclaim His excellencies. This is what we do. We live for the glory of God. This is, this is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 43, 21. The people who I formed or made for myself, I did that so that they may declare my praise. God has formed and made us into his people so that we might declare his praise. This is why he created us, Isaiah 43, 7. He created us for his glory. And this is why we say in our mission statement, if you, know, if you allow me to dissect our mission statement for a second, it says we exist to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people. Let me put an emphasis on this. But ultimately, for the glory of God. This is why we have been saved. This is why we have been formed. And that everything we do brings worship and praise and honor and glory to God. And you know what happens? 
when we are living out our mission to make disciples and bringing glory to God, that brings the greatest good to all people. The greatest good for every single person is that God is glorified in their life. So these two things aren't at odds with one another in our mission statement, for the good of all people and for the glory of God. No, when we seek God's glory above everything, the good of all people happens. When God is glorified, the good of all people happens. That is the greatest good. So let me just ask you this. He's saying here that our new identity brings about a new purpose in our life to proclaim. I would just ask you, what do you see is your ultimate purpose in your life right now? What is your ultimate purpose in your life? You think about it, well, it's to get here in life, it's to do these things, it's to go on these trips, it's to attain this, obtain this. How well does that, what, what you kind of list out, fit in here when it says your new identity comes with a new purpose, and that's to proclaim His excellencies. Would you say that when you wake up in the morning? My purpose today is to proclaim the excellencies of Him. That's our purpose. That's our purpose. And like I just said, what do we proclaim? Well, we proclaim His excellencies. That Jesus, God, is superior. He is perfect. He is glorious. He is majestic. He is all these things. He's supreme. And you know what, you know what, you know what basically is needed for us to proclaim His excellencies? You actually first have to think that Jesus is actually excellent. In order for us to proclaim the excellencies of Christ... In your heart, you have to be thrilled, engulfed by Jesus' excellency. Do you really believe that Jesus is excellent? you really believe that? Because you will never proclaim something that your heart truly does not believe. Maybe you will, but it will not be genuine. Do you really believe these things, that Jesus is excellent? Because your mouth will reveal what your heart believes and treasures. Your mouth will reveal what your heart believes and treasures. Just think about this. Think about over the course of this past week. Think about the things that you got really excited and passionate to talk about with other people. Maybe in the past month. Think about something that you got really excited about and passionate about to talk about. And I think about the things that I get excited and passionate about talking about and like, so dumb. Golly, right? Coffee M&M's. Why? Why, would, why, Wes? Why would you get so excited about that? Well, I can tell you why. M&M's are great, and coffee is great. And the genius who put them together, man, we should give him a Nobel Peace Prize. Right? The things I get excited to talk about. I'm trying to, you know, bike riding. I look, well, maybe I shouldn't use that one. Um, I shouldn't use that one. If I could stay on my bike, it would be very exciting and very worth talking about. But since I crashed so much. But the thing, just think about this past week, the things that you got passionate and excited to talk about. Because your heart was just thrilled with it. And you, you were so passionate about it that you knew that there was no other way to express this. That it, you had to just tell somebody else about it. And this is what... This is what Peter is saying, is that when you know that your identity is secured in Christ Jesus, who you are, then your heart should be enthralled with the excellencies of Christ and what he has done. And there is no other way, there is no, it's going to come out of your mouth if Jesus is truly excellent and superior and supreme in your heart. 
Your mouth will, your mouth will reveal what your heart treasures. Does our hearts treasure Christ? Does our hearts really think that God is excellent? And what I would just say this is that, is that we must normalize in our lives speaking about the excellencies of God. We must normalize that. Where it's not weird at the dinner table, or it's not weird in the workplace, or it's not even weird in the church. Sometimes we even get weird about, even in the church, like, ah, they're talking about their spiritual life. That's kind of weird. Uh, you know, it's kind of, we don't talk about those things here. This is the best place to talk about the excellencies of God. This should be the safe place. This should be the training ground of talking about the excellencies of God so that when you get in your workplaces, when you get in the awkward situations at your home or doctor's office or wherever it may be, then it just naturally spills out. We should normalize talking about Jesus where it can be said of people. It can be said of us. Yeah, there's that guy. We know we're going to hear about God today and how great and excellent he is. That's, that's exactly what our lives are to be about. Is we constantly are proclaiming and talking about how excellent God is because it's deeply rooted in our heart and there is no other way for it to come out than our mouths. And why is, why is he so excellent? I mean, you might be thinking, okay, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Wes. He's excellent. Why is he so excellent? Well, look at what Peter says. This is why he's so excellent. He called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Think about this. Called. He called us. Called is not this passive like invitation like you do on a phone. Like, hey, would you consider this? Would you consider that? Would you consider? That's not what Peter means by called here. You know, when Jesus with Lazarus at, you know, in the tomb, he didn't say, Lazarus, would you consider coming out of that tomb? Would you think about it coming out of there? No, that's not, that's not what Jesus did. He said, what? Lazarus, come out. And what happened? He came out. He came out. It wasn't an invitation. Called here is an act of God powerfully and effectively turning the lights on in us, in our dark hearts, opening up our spiritually blind eyes, giving faith where faith did not exist, making dead people come to life, replacing hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. That's what called means. That's what God did in us. If you are in Christ Jesus this morning, this is your identity. This is what God did for us. He turned the lights on. He gave us spiritual eyes to see. He took a heart of stone in us and gave us a heart of flesh so that we may believe. These are the things that God did. And this is what makes God so excellent. This is what makes him so excellent. This is what makes him so worthy of speaking about in our normal day of life. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Colossians 1.13 says this, He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He didn't invite us. He already did it for us. 2 Corinthians 4.6 For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He turned the lights on when we couldn't see Jesus for who He was. And He brought us into the light. We have spiritual perception. We can see 
Jesus says in John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Right now, the world thinks, unbelievers think that they are enlightened. They have this certain level of knowledge and they understand things. The world is not enlightened. They are darkened. They don't understand that they think they understand. Is that it is only those who are in Christ Jesus who have a new identity. They actually are able to see because they have the spiritual perception. They have the lenses and the glasses to see spiritual realities. God has turned the lights on. And let me just say this for us, church. All this of what God has done for us, given us a new purpose and meaning. Church family, think about this. What more convincing do we need to motivate us to make disciples? What more convincing do we need? There's not enough gimmicks and tricks that I can get up here and do. There's not enough arm twisting that I can make you say, you need to go out and make disciples. I could get up here and guilt you every single Sunday. You're a terrible person. You're a terrible Christian. You're, you can't do this. You don't do this. You, that will never, never motivate you rightly and genuinely to proclaim His excellencies. But you know what will? Remembering your identity in Christ and what He has done for you. He's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You think about that. What other motivation do we need? He's called us out of darkness. And we, in order to treasure our new identity and purpose, is that sometimes we have to contemplate our past. And this is point number three. Is that to accurately and rightly treasure our new identity in Christ and pursue our new purpose in Christ, is that we have to look back on the past. And many of us don't like to look back on the past, right? Many of us don't like to look backward. Maybe it's painful for you. Maybe it's embarrassing for you of what you came from, of what you were or who you were or what you did and things like that. Maybe you don't like to look at yearbooks or photos from the past. I mean, I do because, golly, man, who wouldn't want to look at a picture like of this, you know, at 18? Football pictures, oh, man, I was... Athletic prom. But sometimes we don't like to look at the past. If you've ever had that experience of looking at pictures from the past, of you just knew you were just, man, I was in sin there. Man, I was, golly, I was walking away from the Lord. Man, I, was, I wasn't walking. I was running away. I was running away happily in sin. And sometimes it's hard to look at the past. Sometimes you don't want to remember it. Sometimes you want to forget it because you're embarrassed by it. But let me just say this. Looking back may actually help us to value who we are now and our purpose now. And that's what Peter is bringing to mind for them. Is that remember, church, this present position that you have as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation, all these things, that present comes with a past of who you once were. And the gospel is good news because it tells us the bad news of who we once were apart from Christ. And this is what he does in verse 10. He uses, again, the Old Testament to describe our past identity apart from Christ. And he uses a very familiar story 
If anybody remembers the story of Hosea and Gomer, right? Hosea and Gomer. And he says, basically, this is who you were. This is your story. This is what you were like. Peter, what one author says is this, Peter adapts and applies the story of Hosea and Gomer to us, the New Testament church. Just listen to what it says here. Verse 10, once you were not a people. I want to just emphasize here, once you were not, just once you were not, it says it twice here, once you were not, there was a time when what you are now was not, meaning we haven't always been a Christian. We haven't always been a follower of Jesus Christ. I know that might be some of the nomenclature that we use, some of the language we use. I've always been a Christian. No, there was once where you were not, what it says here in 1 Peter 2. Once you were not, right? We were not. And what were we not? We were not a people. We were not God's people. We were alienated, cut off, dispersed, disconnected from God. This is what Hosea says. It's a very... uh, interesting story because it's about God telling them what they're going to name their children and it's an indictment on them it says this Hosea 1 8 through 9 she conceived that's going and bore a son and the Lord said call his name not my people for you are not my people and I am not your God it was an indictment on Israel because of their rejection of God name your kid that because that's who you are So they were not a people. We were not a people. We were not God's people. We were alienated and cut off. Not only that, is that we did not have mercy. We did not receive mercy. We were not recipients of God's compassion, God's grace, God's favor, God's forgiveness. This is what Hosea 1.6 says. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name, no mercy, for I will have no more mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. This is who we were. The story of Hosea and Gomer is our story. We were once a people who were not a people. We were not a people. We were not God's people. We did not receive God's mercy. We were not recipients of his grace and mercy. There was once a time when we were not. But here's the beautiful part of the story of Hosea and Gomer. God brings redemption to this people who were not his people. He shows mercy to this people who did not receive mercy. He says this, Hosea 1.10, Yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. Those people who I said were not my people because of their sin, they will one day be called children of the living God through Christ Jesus. The Hosea and Gomer story is our story. It's our past That's who we were. We were not recipients of God's mercy. We were not God's people, but through Christ we have been. And I just want to say for us, is that our zeal to proclaim His excellencies, to make known His excellencies, can sometimes be dampened by or diminished by when we don't remember just how bad we were. Just how desperate of a state we were in. Just how we were in a situation that we could not fix on our own because of our sin. Sometimes our zeal for evangelism and to proclaim His excellencies is dampened by, I really am not that bad. I really was not that bad. But if you remember here your past, what 
1 Peter 2 says, you are not God's people, and you did not receive God's mercy. And that there should stimulate us to say, God has shown me great mercy, and he has made me his people, part of his people. Remembering our past state apart from Christ should kindle a love for and a desire for proclaiming his excellencies. Remember who you were apart from Christ. And that is the gospel call this morning. Apart from Christ, if you are in there this morning or you're watching online, apart from Christ, you are not part of God's people. If you are apart from Christ, you are not a recipient of God's favor and mercy and forgiveness. You are actually presently an enemy under his judgment and justice. That is who you are. This, this past is your present right now. Verse 10 is your present right now. You are not part of God's people and you have not received his mercy. But this is what the good news of Jesus Christ is all about. That because of Christ and in Christ, this can be said of you, what Revelation 21.3 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. This can be true of you this morning. If you came in apart from Christ and not his people, this morning you can walk out with this promise. Revelation 21.3, on that day I will be called his people and he will be my God. Today, this morning, you are not a recipient of God's mercy if you are apart from Christ, but today you can walk out of here as a recipient of God's mercy. What it says in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, everybody remembers this. But God, being rich in what? Mercy. Mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This morning, you walk in here, not part of God's people, not a recipient of God's mercy. You don't have to walk out that way. This morning, faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Walking away from your past identity and say, I want to embrace this new identity in Jesus Christ. This morning, you can walk out as part of God's people and as a recipient of God's mercy. You don't have to walk the way same way that you walked in. And at the end of the days, when we're all called before the judgment seat of God, unbeliever, you will have no acceptable excuses for why you rejected the gospel, rejected God's mercy, and rejected His appeal to you to come and be a part of His people. There will be no acceptable excuses. Christian, follower of Jesus, who all of this is true of, at the end of our days, we will have no acceptable excuses for why we did not proclaim the excellencies of Him. We will have no acceptable excuses. We will not be able to say on Judgment Day, well, I just didn't have enough time, or I had a bunch of kids, or my job was really all over me. Oh, man, I just didn't have these relationships. There will be no acceptable excuses on the end day for this purpose that we've been given to proclaim the excellencies of Him. This morning, Christian, would you submit more fully this morning to say, that's my purpose. It's in everything that I do, I will speak about the excellencies of Him. Let's pray. God, we love You and we thank You. You are an excellent God, beautiful, perfect, 
righteous, good life. And Lord, I pray that we would see that our purpose is to make known, to herald all these things of who you are so that people may receive your mercy as we've received your mercy, O God, as we've been called in to be your people. Lord, help us, help that truth to take root in our hearts, God, that we may proclaim it with our mouths only by the Spirit that is at work in us to give us strength to do so. It's in Christ's name I pray these things. Amen.